On the personal side, a lot of introspection. I think this is the perfect moment for us to, you know, kind of like go into our thoughts and our dreams and our um, behaviors and understand the many lessons that we've been, you know, um, I hope learning from this situation. Besides that, a lot of art, songwriting, because this helps a lot. I, you see that I have like a piano right here. This piano has seen many songs, you know, born lately. So um, mostly that. And besides that, on the professional side, let's say that I've been very, very busy. My company's working remotely. So we're still uh, doing everything that we were before pandemics with a different speed, probably, but we're still doing it. And one of those was my new album, which is MP345 that was supposed to go out in May. And then it got delayed because of obvious reasons. <laughs> Let's start with the personal introspection aspect of it. Have you, have you learned anything about yourself during this period? Of course, of course. Most of all, I think that I'm a very patient person, but this has been a mastery <laughs> in patience. I, I value freedom more than anything else in life because not being able to do what you want not a, not being able to travel which is one of my favorite things in the world and which is part of what I do as a job you know not being able to go on a on a stage in order to connect with people so many things that uh, you get to value more than ever it's not that I didn't value them before but now it's like more it's more obvious and you get to not only value them, but cherish them way more. Uh, besides that, uh, the importance of all of us human beings, I mean, the way we look at each other, the way we look at nature, the way we behave towards all of that, understanding that this is just one big home called planet Earth. And we might live or come from different bedrooms of the house, but we share the common areas, you know? You might be from the, the U.S. bedroom. I was born and raised in Panama, but still we're, we're the same, even though we look at life in a different way and with a different culture. So I think that this has united us in an amazing way. All of the, you know, the boundaries were completely joked by an invisible thing. And I wish that human beings could understand. I wish that we don't get to normalize what's not the right thing to do again. How do you mean that normalize? Let's say that essential things are the most important. And we live in a materialistic world where it's more important for you to have likes than to give a hug to your mom, for example. Like things have changed so much. And I was saying that it's like we were running in this hamster wheel without wheel without knowing where to go, thinking that we're doing the right thing, society in general, and uh, so many broken, you know, families, so many broken hearts, people that don't, that can't connect to make a relationship work, you know, because everything has to be superficial. So we have changed artificial for what the, uh, what the for I mean, the essential for the superficial and everything was completely backwards. I think that this came at a certain level to show us how to, how to change our, our mindset and our heart. Obviously, you've been doing music for a really long time, really since you were a teenager. Had you had any opportunity previous to this to really to take a break away from it, to, to take a step back and kind of and examine what you've been doing? I always try to examine myself, to tell you the truth. And usually mm -hmm. every end of the year, I take time off 
in order to think and balance everything. Besides that, I, I do a, I really do a big effort in order to, you know, have some me time every day. And I meditate every morning. And I, you know, I try always to listen to myself because if I'm not safe and happy, I can't make anyone else, you know, happy. That's how I see it. And uh, to tell you the truth, that's mostly it. I always, tr I try to listen to myself often, not only as a person, but as well as a professional and try to see how everyone sees the world around. I'm so sorry. So this is an exclusive, Brian. This is Mr. Puppy. Is he a Shih Tzu or? No, he's a Havanese. No, it's like the, the size of a Maltese. Do you know the Maltese? He's like a Cuban Maltese. <laughs> I mean, to describe the people who can't see him, he's like a cross between an Ewok and a cotton ball. <laughs> yeah, but he wants all the attention right now. And since he's a puppy, he's getting used to the house and everything. So sometimes he behaves and sometimes he goes like, okay, you're talking to someone else, pay attention to me. So thank you for the, cart the courtesy. <laughs> I mean, obviously this is a good time to, to bring some, a, a new pet into your life. Is he, were you driven to pick him up because of the pandemic? As well. To tell you the truth, yes, as well. Well, I, I always, I've been always an animal lover. I'm even a vegetarian. I don't eat animals because of, you know, compassion reasons. And besides that, and health reasons as well. And um, my last pet was with me for 11 years. And then right after he died and I got divorced uh, months later, I moved to L.A., so, and then a, a bunch of things were happening with my career. And then like two years later, Despacito came. So I was traveling like crazy. And I, I thought it was too selfish for me to, you know, have a dog if I wouldn't give him the time. But right now that I don't know when I'm going to travel again the way I used to, I used to take like four or five planes a week. That was crazy. So now I think that uh, it's, a, it's a nice time, you know, to, to share with this little thing <laughs> little beautiful thing and yes it, it it has to do with it as well but it's good that we have also time with ourselves and time with the house and checking everything that we can you know fix and reorganize and you know and working from home i love working in a in a in a robe <laughs> you're not wearing a robe right now though no not not right now like you touched your again. top when you said that but <laughs> No, but I, I mean, usually when I'm at, uh, working with my, with my team and everything, we just, you know, got a conference every, get a conference every day, uh, a conference call every day. And I'm wearing a robe. I'm like, you know, without any, any, um, how do you call it? Uh, any makeup, you know, just happy to be home. At what point did meditation enter your life? To tell you the truth, my mom is very, very spiritual. And we usually were very open to any religion as long as we could practice love and kindness. And part of doing that is feeling good with yourself because you cannot give love and kindness if you don't feel the most. Well, you can, but it's not going to be as authentic, I think, because it's going to, well, she teaches to, I mean, my sister and me, to be very conscious and to listen to ourselves and everything and take some me time. Later in life, when I got divorced for the first time, always you're looking for answers, right? And that helped me a lot. I started, you know, like reading some Dalai Lama books and things like that. And I understood a little more, with a little more depth, all this meditation process, because I really tried to meditate and I couldn't understand how it was. You know, people say, oh yeah, I'm meditating and you have a bunch of 
thoughts in your mind and then everything distracts you. And I was like, how do I do this? I, I, I was getting anxious, anxious back then. And then I understood that it's not about stopping your thoughts or not doing anything. It's just looking for calmness. Just looking for, a, 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 you know, for a reset. Just, just being present in the moment. And right that, in that, during those days, also I started doing yoga. I tried yoga for a long time, for five years, and I couldn't do it. Even though I think that I'm a patient person, I was anxious as well. Because I wanted everything for yesterday. When I see things, like I go after them and I want everything to be ready and everything takes its time. With yoga was the same thing. I tried yoga several times and I didn't find the, the good side of it. And then one day I just said, you know, Erica, stop your mind. Stop being anxious. Just be present in the moment and do your thing and breathe. When I did that, you know, when people say like the Holy Spirit came into your, into your life. It was that kind of feeling, like I felt some air conditioning within my body. <laughs> you were able to just tell yourself to stop being anxious? I, I, I don't like the word it was anxious, but I was like, I was expecting from that, like an aerobic thing, which it is, but it's not the main, you know, it's not the main purpose. So uh, when I tried to really just focus and breathe and do every pose, breathing, not thinking of which was the next one. I think that might be the anxious part of it. It just flowed. And then I became like the biggest yoga fan. I became even an instructor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get classes, but I, I wanted to know everything, you know, from the, from the history of yoga to everything else, because it really healed my back pain. It really, you know, put me back in the present. And it's, it's a practice that you don't, you're not thinking about being in the present. You just, there's something that aligns, you know, when you do it the right way. Um, it just aligns everything. And then you, you get to breathe, you get to meditate. I give myself 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night. Sometimes I just fall, fall asleep and that's it. But I think that I sleep way better after I started doing all these practices. Right now and for the past several months and likely for the next several months, we, we've got plenty of time on our hands. Um, but, but actually establishing a practice, a yoga practice and a meditation practice, how difficult is that when you're on the road? You always can find part, I, I mean, time for yourself, even if you're in a, in a hotel or whatever, because that's something I do with myself, you know, breathing and taking time to, you know, focus and maybe straightening my body. Maybe I don't do a whole class when I'm traveling, but I try to at least straighten everything. So it's, it's discipline. Discipline is everything in life. And I don't want it to sound hard, you know, like, oh, like a, like a general, like you have to be disciplined. No, but everything in life, whatever you want to achieve needs practice and needs to be, you know, needs, needs to be perfectioned. So... I guess it's that, you know, finding the way of pulling yourself into what's good for you, you know, or what you think that works for you. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like part of your breakthrough was recognizing that it was not being disappointed in the fact that you weren't seeing the results that you thought or hoped you were going to see. I think exactly. Everything in life is, is practice and practice is something that comes with discipline. Prior to that, you know, you had mentioned that your mother and your family are spiritual. What role did spirituality play in your life before you discovered these practices? Oh my God, everything, everything. Yeah, to tell you the truth, my mom and my dad are doctors. And I do believe that whenever you're exposed 
to a certain to certain habits and way of seeing life if it's good and works for you you just keep them and practice them throughout your life personally and professionally they have served me so much all the tools that they gave me have served me so much and since we were little we used to you know pray together not as not like our father who are in heaven which is important as well to whomever believes in that but as a family like thank god for this food thank that we're together thank that we can do this and that you know trying to have a spiritual presence among us as a family and to be united by love and by compassion and doing good to others and since we were little my dad and my mom would organize uh you know um their doctor friends and would ask me to also organize my friends in order to do like a like a uh, movie uh, like a musical play for children that wouldn't have anything for Christmas and she always told me you know what is not only buying a gift and giving it to someone else it's giving something from yourself from your heart so if your talent is to write a song why don't you just write a song or write a musical and then you practice and then you give it as a gift to someone who has nothing after you give you receive so before us asking for Santa anything for Santa Claus we would have to do this, my sister and me. So that's something that almost came in the DNA. And I have no words to thank that because it has served me so much in life. You do do charity work and you do do outreach. These are things that were really instilled on you on a very early age, it sounds like. I see it as a duty to tell you the truth. I don't see it as, oh, Erica's so good and she's doing this and that and I'll take a picture of this. No, it's, it's a duty. I do believe that we all have a talent And that talent was giving for a purpose. And we can all make a difference in this world from our own, you know, corners. And if we, you know, try to be the best that we can with, within ourselves, and we can, you know, transform someone else's life, even just to smile, it, it's addictive. You knew from an early age that your skill was singing? Yeah, since I was born. It took me two minutes and 45 seconds to cry. And, and my, my mom always jokes like, oh, you were looking for the perfect note to get into the world, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Since I was little, I remember asking my dad, can you film me? Because I'm going to sing this song since I was like two. And I have videos from like from that age on. I was always calling, you know, the, the different um, the shows they had for kids that were live in my country. I would call and say that I had, you know, this show that I wanted to, to present. And also at school, like, it was something that came with me. And then later on, when I started writing, you know, I started also, also listening to music and I was super, you know, fascinated by the lyrics of the songs and the message itself. And I would ask my dad, who is, I don't know, Dave Foster, who is Diane Warren? Like I would read the, the credits of the, of the vinyl albums because I was, you know, little back then. And they would tell me, you know, those are the ones who make the magic, the ones who give the message to the person uh, that would sing it and connect with the people. And I got so fascinated by that, that I started writing as well, listening to everything. And you know, when you're, you're a kid, you start like copying whatever you see until you find your own style and everything. And that helped me so much. So I've always been, you know, attached to music in both ways, singing and writing as well. You picked up on the writer's names at such an early age. I'm familiar with both of those artists because I follow music. But I think even at this point, a vast majority of people probably aren't familiar with those names specifically, but it was clear to you that there was more going on behind the scenes than just the musicians. 
I knew who was Quincy Jones from reading Frank Sinatra's credits because my dad would listen to his music. Not even like Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, like Ranger Quincy Jones. Way back, yeah. Yeah. I think his big break was back then with Frank Sinatra. And then I, of course, with Thriller and everything, I remember, you know, reading all the credits and everything. Clive Davis as an A&R for Whitney Houston. I would read everything. And I'm just mentioning English, of course, because this is an English interview, but to tell you the truth, there was a bunch of people from the Latino market, which is my native one, that I would ask, who is Armando Manzanero, which is one of the biggest composers in history? Uh, who is this? Who is that? And they would tell me, this is the person who makes the magic happen, you know, who makes a message. Did you first start learning English through music? Sesame Street. <laughs> when I was little, we had Channel 8 in Panama. And besides that, my grandma used to live in the U.S. back then, back in the day. My, my dad is half American I, because he was born and raised in the canal zone of Panama that was American territory. My mom is Brazilian. So I grew up listening to, from Francia to to everyone. They were very musical. They're doctors, but they fell in love singing. So there was a lot of music at home. The alarm was my dad. Whenever he got up, we all had to get up because we started listening to music, you know, and the vinyl records. Uh, later on, when I was like nine, my grandma came back. She retired from the U.S. She used to live in Washington, Virginia. And then she, um, in Arlington, Virginia, and she worked in Washington, D.C. And then she moved to Panama. And when she came back to Panama, she used to speak, you know, English with us, my sister and me, usually. I mean, my, my English, but English is not my, not my first language at all, as you can notice. English is my, my third one, because what I really think that I speak well is Spanish, which is my native, and Portuguese, because I used to listen to it since I was a baby and to, you know, communicate with my family. But let's say that English is a learned language. So your parents were, obviously music was a big part of their lives, but were they, they, as doctors, were they supportive of you pursuing a career in music? I would say completely. My dad, yes. My mom, my mom was a little scared. My dad always wanted to be an artist. So he saw in me his dream come true. My mom was like, oh my God, how are you going to live out of being a musician? That's so hard. No one, I mean, it's, it's not that you're not going to make it because she always empowered me in everything in life. But she was like, could you please just study one career and then do whatever you want, just in case. <laughs> but then when uh, Apuro Dolor was recorded, the English version that I did came to the to the lists, uh, to the top of the list of uh, the Hot 100. And then Chayanne recorded a song that I could wrote. And she saw that I could, you know, buy a house, buy a car, buy everything and start working out of being a songwriter. She understood that there was a word, a, a whole world out of what she could see. And she totally um, not only empowers me, but supports me, both of them. I talk to a lot of musicians and a lot of artists, and it's always interesting to find out when they were able to contextualize what they do for for their parents. You know, for your mom specifically, it was when you were able to to buy a house. When for you, when was it clear that you could actually support yourself doing this? I was never thinking about the money. I've always thought about doing what I love, and I always have thought that the money comes, the money follows. Whenever you do the right thing, money follows. And that's what life has showed me. But there have been, I mean, scary moments as well, because this is not an easy path. And for a woman, even worse. And for a Latina, even worse. And for a young woman, even, even worse, you know. But I, I, I've learned that creativity, um, you know, perseverance, authenticity, 
uh, humbleness, everything together with uh, the, the, the fire within yourself of trying to always evolve and give the best that you can to the world has rewards. And that's how I've, you know, built my career. What was the scariest moment for you? You know, how close did you get to kind of reconsidering all of this? Oh my God, several. <laughs> I cannot mention just one. They're all pretty far in the past though. Yeah, but I mean, don't get me wrong. There are always obstacles and new challenges. But, uh, for example, at the beginning of my career, I tried to nine months after I lost everything because I moved to Miami for a, for a month in order to see this producer that was supposed to have a, a meeting with me that have seen me before in Puerto Rico. And he told me, go over to Miami and I'll listen to your music and... And we, we'll see what we can do and work on new demos and everything. And I, I left everything. And I came here for a month thinking that every, everything was going to be super easy. You know, oh, they'll hear me. They'll just sign me. And Emilio Estefan is going to meet me and everything is going to be perfect. And it wasn't like that. And when I was uh, here in the U.S., I stayed with my uh, aunt for, um, you know, for the, for the days that I was supposed to meet with this producer who never answered the phone and uh, never opened his door. And um, I lost everything in Panama, Los Ladrones. Jesus, I just lost, lost the world. I, got, I mean, this guy's got into my apartment and uh, rubbed everything and I lost it all. I remember when my uh, sister-in-law called me because I was just married back then. And she called me to say, you know, this guy's, went into your house and you got robbed you have nothing and I started crying because it was like nine months for my ex-husband and me to you know put everything together and then we have nothing to go back to and I said you know what maybe this is this is a message why would I go back to start all over again to where I lost everything I, maybe this is the universe saying just stay where you are and do it all over again and my aunt opened her home to me while I was looking for a job and everything and trying to, you know, make everything work. That was really hard back then because it took me nine months in order to have like a regular job, which was Discovery Channel as a TV presenter. That's a good job though. That, you know, yeah, as far as it took me nine months, okay? In nine months and without anything, I've lost everything. And my savings were like this and no job in the U.S. Nine months later, you have nothing. And you have to pay insurance, pay for a car, pay for everything. How are you going to get there? And well, the thing is that uh, nine months later, I got this job as a TV presenter, but it was not my dream. It was something that I was seeing as an opportunity to stay in the U.S. in order to uh, do more demos and send them to, to artists who would record my songs. And then I started doing those demos and sending those songs. And I had to change my name and not change my name, but put E. Ender instead of Erica Ender and ask for a male friend to sing my demos. Because when they got the, um, when people at the ARs got the music, they would say, oh, that's a beautiful song, but it sounds too feminine. And I said, okay, if they're not opening the front door. I'm going to be able to either jump, you know, the fence or come through the back door, but I'm going to do this. And then I didn't want to take it as discrimination. Maybe it was, I don't know. Unconscious bias, perhaps. I wanted to, I wanted to take it as a lack of vision because the industry was so full of men who had been the leaders of, of music for, I mean, forever, producers, songwriters, engineers, 
you're not used to listen to someone introduce you to a, you know, a, a, my female songwriter, my female engineer. It's not the normal thing. Not even in the, in the mainstream market. After I started doing that, songs went through and got pitched. And I said, okay, the song is good. Men can sing, you know, songs that are written by women, by women. And um, after that, uh, when the song got pitched, I, I called like, hey, it's me. <laughs> the song was already in. So, and then your name starts, you know, being recognized and you start doing more things. And at the end, I learned that the most important thing was for you to collaborate with others, to, to you know, deliver results in order for people to understand your value and to want to work with you. And that's how I built my career, you know, out of work, out of values, out of talent, and always looking for collaboration. Being a feminist for me is not being less feminine. Is working, you know, as a team. Obviously, you know, being a television presenter is a lot of people's career goals. Uh, do, do you get the feeling that that's something that, that you could have been satisfied doing as a career? Well, I, that's, that was an accident in my life, to tell you the truth. I started on TV when I was like 16 or 17 in Panama, my, my native country, because I was singing in this show. And then something happened with the track, because I was singing live to track. And uh, it stopped, and I had to improvise in front of a bunch of people that were very important. I think it was the, it was either a congress of tourism. I never remember if it was a congress of tourism or the the summit of uh, the presidents of Central America, something like that. That was all in the same week, and I had to sing several times. It was a lot of very important people you were performing in front of. Yeah. So I had to improvise, and whenever the track came back, people started really, you know, applauding me. And there was a TV producer there that talked to my dad because I was under 18. And he goes, like, she has a lot of talent. I mean, she has spark. I want her on camera. And they were looking for uh, a presenter for a show that they had. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and it was a very important channel in my country. TV channel in my country. I was like, no, 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 I'm not interested. Like, I want, what I want to do is music. Why would this guy keep calling me in order to go and do this casting? And then my dad said, you know what? You're not losing anything. Go and see how it goes. And they gave me the job. Apparently, TV was, you know, since I was pursuing music and TV was pursuing me. <laughs> so at the end, I tried to, you know, accept it and, and with gratitude. And that's something that really changed my life because nowadays, even though I have a career in the music business as a singer and a songwriter, I also create and produce content for, uh, you know, brands and channels and everything, especially in, in Latin America and, and my country. And um, besides that, by being on TV, I learned how to produce. I studied the, the mass communication in, in, the, um, in college, but... It wasn't really what teach me. What teach me was to being, you know, being out there uh, as a presenter and understanding how everything was made. And um, I've been presenter to several things after that. And that's what saved my life when I came to the U.S. The, my first job was Discovery Channel as a TV presenter for, for um, Iberoamerica is how they call it, from, from Spain and Portugal through Brazil. Argentina. Probably also useful skills as far as, you know, being a performer on stage. It's super useful. That's why I'm saying it was a great accident because I wasn't expecting to, you know, do something on TV. But right now I think it's something that really complements, uh, no, that, that completes my career, that completes my career and makes me maybe a, a more of a 
365 artist, you know, because if you put a camera on, I, at least I try to do my best to know what to say. <laughs> okay. At that point in your career, did you get the sense that you had to leave Panama in order to have the career that you wanted? Totally. Since I was nine years old. I got to see that Panama didn't have the platform for the, for the artist I wanted to become, for the songwriter I wanted to become. And I remember watching TV with my mom beside me and seeing Gloria Estefan taking over the world with Conga. And I remember saying, you know what? I want the song to, I want the world to sing my songs as well, mom. So whenever I grew up, grow up I'm going to go to Miami and I'm going to knock the door of Emilia Stefan, and I'm going to be, you know, an artist, an international artist, and songwriter, especially songwriter. I was pursuing that dream as well. And I said, maybe I'm not going to get married. Maybe I'm just going to do music and save the world through it. <laughs> that was my de- idealist thought from a little girl. Was it clear that in order to achieve the level that you wanted to achieve, that you would have to do a lot of songwriting in English? I always thought that I had to. And to tell you the truth, the first hit, the first international hit that I had was an English version that I wrote for a big song in Latin America called Apuro Dolor. Even in the Grammys, um, NSYNC sang the song with Song by Four, which was the Latin, the Latin group that uh, made it a hit. So the first time that I saw my name on Billboard was with that song, you know, through that song that I wrote the English words. It's even easier for me to sit down and, you know, write because it's, it takes, you know, more time for you to think and put the right words on it and review it and everything. Because sometimes when I'm talking, maybe since I'm not native, I might say something that doesn't sound as native to you. But at least, I mean, I, I do manage the, the language. Like, you can understand me. <laughs> it, was a, it was an amazing feeling to see myself, I mean, to see my name on Billboard Hot 100 as a first step within my career. And then, uh, as I told you, with Chayanne, and then on came like 40 different top singles throughout this, 40, uh, this 28-year career. But after I had that hit, I focused more in the Latino market, which was where I had the contacts and everything, and I started working. And, and I knew more most of the, the artists and everything. So, uh, of course, that was something that was always on my mind, and I started, you know, writing way more English as well in order to pursue that dream. And I never thought that years later, decades later, what would happen is that a Spanish song would cross over the way Despacito did. Never, never saw that coming. And it was amazing because then you get to see that the world can get united with a song and it doesn't matter the language because usually, of course, English is a universal language. But Despacito came in with a mission, you know, to, to let the, the world hear Spanish. And that's amazing. You know, with a, a couple of years distanced between you and that song really breaking through, do you get the sense that it was kind of, that it was a one-off or, or does it really feel like the beginning of something broader as far as the ability for a, an international, for a Spanish language song to kind of break through even into America? I think that there there is a, a lot of, uh, artists and songwriters and producers that were, you know, paving this path. Since, I mean, La Bamba, Gloria Estefan, who did an amazing job with Emilio and, and made the Latino rhythms, you know, 
famous all over the world. They were super, they were stick to their roots. And I think that's wonderful. And um, well, later on, Ricky Martin, Jennifer Lopez, you name it. So uh, we can't take the credit of what has happened, but we could say that it was a cherry on top for something that was happening, not in, not in Spanish, but uh, people knew that all, this, all of these artists were Latinos. So I think that it's been a, it's been a, a teamwork and Despacito made a difference. Don't ask me why, because it's a song that has a lot of lyrics that doesn't have like a, a, a choreography like Macarena or I don't know what happened, but I know that it came with a mission. And I know that uh, people from the farthest place in the world felt it. And I'm super happy and grateful that, um, you know, we got that inspiration that afternoon, Fonsi and me, and that Bieber came part of it, decided and wanted to be part of it, and that Yankee as well. And, and it has done, you know, it's, it, it became history. You were talking a bit about materialism before, but I, you know, I do think that maybe the flip side of that, and, and one of the things that we've discovered during the quarantine is how important technology can be in terms of, you know, obviously connecting. We're, we're talking over Zoom right now. And when I think about a song like Despacito, it, it's, it's not something, I, I can't imagine it having become successful in the way that it became successful without the internet. Of course. It, it became a global hit because the whole world could listen to it and look for it in the palm of your hand. It makes all the difference. And I'm super thankful. Uh, I mean, technology, I think it's, it's the best. It brings us together. What is not good about technology is when human beings doesn't know how to make the difference of technology in their lives. You can't robotize yourself. You have to use it as a tool for what's good and not forget about family, not forget about your job, not forget that everything out there is superficial. You know, that what really matters is what's, you know, in you, within you. But once you know how to, you know, how to balance your life and use it as a tool, I think it's great. Technology is wonderful. Technology without values has no value. How I see it. I guess the way that, that maybe I, I would contextualize it is that technology in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Mm-hmm. That it's really, it's the way it's utilized. People tend to say, oh, money's bad. Why money's bad? Money gives you a lot of things. If you use it the wrong way, or if you do bad with money, then it's bad. But money lets you, I don't know, eat and travel with your family and have amazing experiences and You know, everything, greed is bad, not money. You know, robotizing your feelings is bad, not technology. You had this very, you've had this very successful and long career up to and before Despacito, but having a hit of that size for a song that you wrote, how transformative has it been for your own career? Amazingly. For me, for Fonsi, I guess for Yankee and Even for Bieber, that let the world hear him in Spanish, you know? That was he, he was doing okay before that. No, no, no. What I mean is that something might have, you know, it, it, has, it should have touched him in, in, in a certain level as well because he came out of his comfort zone. He was not singing in Spanish, you know? I mean, in English. Uh, I'm not saying that Despacito made him. No, he helped us with the, with the song. But it's always a challenge to get out of your comfort zone and, doing, and do something different. And he did. I think that that might, might have transformed something in him as well. So um, uh, I think that Despacito opened the, the world. Just talking about myself, 
opened the world to me because uh, I had a, a previous 25 year old career. I was even announced and, and um, inducted into the uh, Songwriters Hall of Fame before this Pasito exploded, you know, and um, because of the whole career that I had in the uh, Hispanic market. But then this pasito came in and opened Asia for me, opened the rest of Europe, opened Australia. And I've been working all those markets and places because of that song. And I'm super grateful for that. In your own career, do you feel a sense of obligation to get out of your own comfort zone? In my own life. In your own life. In my own life. Always. There's no bigger way of growing up than getting out of your comfort zone and pushing yourself to do it. Because if you get too comfy then nothing changed. And the most amazing thing is for you to challenge yourself in order to see how amazing you could be in other things that you never thought you, you, know, you could do. How does that manifest itself on this new record? Oh, totally. I'm, I did something crazy. <laughs> what, what, what's that? No genre. No, it's not just one language. It's not just, I mean, MP345, which is the title of my new album, is all Erica's together. All that baggage that I received since I was a little girl, the multiculturality, the music that I used to hear, the languages. So in MP345, I let the songs be. If, if there was a song that came originally in Spanish, I recorded it. If it came originally in Portuguese or in English, I recorded it. Um, I, I recorded two sides, side A, which is the actual Erica with the songs that were published and written by me and the size B, which are covers that marked a certain moment of my life. So there you have like covers and uh, unpublished songs, new songs. Then you have the old Erica and new Erica. MP3 is the new Erica, the actual Erica, the independent woman who gets out of her comfort zone, thinks out of the box and, and dares to do things. And then the 45 Erica, which is the more classic, sophisticated, more old school values, they all live in me, you know? So we have two times, you know, two, two eras. We have three languages. We have two Ericas and nine stories, three that mark my life and show me and teach me uh, how to write and how to sing because it really, I mean, moments and music that really mark my life. And then you have the result of who I am nowadays with everything that I feel and I want to share with the world. So it's, it's the most, I don't want to say risky, the most, I just dared to do what I felt like. I, I wasn't thinking of a genre or what's going on in the radio, or I just was truth to myself. On that note of truth, I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier some of the kind of life changes that you were putting in place when you were going through or divorce and you know I, I assume it's similar any, anytime we're dealing with any kind of trauma or something difficult in our lives how does that manifest itself on record and how how comfortable are you being transparent and direct about these struggles that you're going through you know in, in Latin America there's a saying that says tell the story not t tell the miracle don't talk about the saint <laughs> and that's how I see it like I've I've written so many songs out of what I have lived. I like writing for others what they need to express, what they're going through. But in my case also, I've, I've written a bunch of songs that have been, you know, the cure for my soul in a certain moment. And I had to say something. And through those songs, I've won billboards and Grammys. So I'm super transparent. 
I don't talk about uh, anyone, but I do talk about the learnings of life and I do make them music and I tr try to transform pain into art. You're focused on this record that's coming out in a few months, but do, do you get a sense of how living through this current time is going to impact the music you make? Of course. Yeah. I, well, the, the only focus that I have right now is to connect with minds and hearts. That's my main focus. I'm not, as I told you, I'm not looking for what's trending right now for my album. I want it to be who I am, the salad that I am, you know, of languages, of culturality, of everything, upbringing, spirituality, everything. So I was just, you know, the most authentic that I could be. And I'm not expecting anything. I'm just expecting for the people that, you know, has the same energy and that is going through in a specific situation to listen to a song of mine and maybe say, you know what? Maybe I should ask for forgiveness after I heard this. Maybe I should not commit suicide after this. Maybe, you know, something that may transform lives. That's what I really want to do. And we all have, I think, the same stories with different characters. Because at the end, we all want to be loved. We all want to make our dreams come true. We all get mad at things that society doesn't do the right way. So at the end, I'm just trying to, you know, connect with the most quantity of souls that can listen and, can, and, and understand the message. And obviously, this is a, a rare opportunity that we have that everybody has been touched by this, this moment. Especially because right now you can go to a YouTube, you can have the time to, you know, search more on YouTube or listen to more music on Spotify and you need content, something that would never die is music because it's content for the soul. Mm -hmm.